Hi there, we're Norman Mission Baptist Church family. It's good to be with you today by the video to talk about the sermon from this week, uh, as we've been trying to do each week. Uh, so you have something during the midweek to watch. I'm glad that you're watching and joining us with this. Uh, we're in Ephesians chapter 1. We finished this chapter this week. Uh, we read together verses 18 through 23. Uh, reading 18 was a, was a review um, looking at what Paul was talk, was praying for for the church before uh, before we got into our section, really, which was verses 19 uh, through 23. But the just a reminder of how Paul had prayed that this church would receive wisdom and knowledge and would would know God more in that way. And so, just uh, understanding that by knowing God more is what gives us this hope, this this true hope. Uh, because in this world, we're going to experience all kinds of feelings and frustrations, great joys, uh, a, lot of, a lot of different things. But that can kind of lead us astray at times if we're, if we're ebbing and flowing with that always. And what we should be grounded on is knowing who God is, the truths of his word, where he's, what he stands, what he has done for us, because that is our that is our rock. And so we sing songs like, on Christ the solid rock I stand. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means I know who Christ is. I know what he has done. I know what his word teaches me. And I stand on this, regardless of what I'm facing right now or what's happening. This is what I stand on. This is what I know is true. And this is where my hope lies. And so Paul's kind of come off of that uh, to get into verses 19 through the end and it says and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come and he put all things under his feet and gave him as, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so really the focus of the message, because I think it's kind of the focus of this passage, that, that word power and, and the power that God has shown in three, there's, there's really three things through Christ. Number one was his resurrection. Number two was his ascension, but then has placed him in the ascension has placed him over all things, but it also mentions specifically the church, right? He's head of the church as well. And so we looked at these at these three at these three areas. A question that I asked at the beginning is more for fun, just to get people's minds kind of thinking, but I asked them to think about the most powerful thing they had seen in their life. Does anything come to your guys' mind when I when I asked that question where it just like Wow, that's really amazingly powerful or, or strong. Not anything jump out at you guys when I talk about that. I mean, you lived in like a tornado. Yeah, that's what came to my. I mean, whenever you yeah. just said that, that's. I mean, seeing the the power of the tornado that went through Joplin. I mean, I wasn't. I could see the storm from a distance, right? But I was But seeing the results and just being on the outer fringes of that storm. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. And you go there and you just like, I remember, I mean, you mentioned Katrina uh, yesterday, but I remember just all of a sudden you're pulling up on a place that you've grown up around your whole life. And then you just pull up over like a hit, you know, at this certain place. And all of a sudden it just looks like a bomb went off and everything's gone. Mm -hmm. I mean, From it, wind. 
Yeah, from, like, from just like an hour before, it was all there. Yeah. And then yeah. an hour later, you know, I mean, I don't know the time, but yeah, mm-hmm. just that same day I was there driving in and just, mm-hmm. I remember people just walking around. It was almost like zombies. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of weird, you know, eerie. But yeah, just to seeing the power and the that's destructive force, yeah. not, not the constructive force that we see in Jesus' mm-hmm. power. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've had times too, um, I remember once I was out at Luna Pier and they, you know, the pier jets out into the lake a little bit. But at one point there's kind of water all around you because there's like a little cove or something that it, that wraps around and it was dark outside and it was really wavy. Mm-hmm. And I remember just getting this sense of what it would be like to be mm-hmm. stranded in the water and how helpless it, you mm-hmm. would feel in the, in the waves and the, just crashing back and forth is, and how tiny i felt yeah. in that moment just like yeah i'm not, <laughs> you know not as big and powerful as you think you are mm. or even in control of things as you as you think you are mm. uh, there's just things so much more powerful than you but this word power when it comes to uh people using it when talking about the power <laughs> of god or the power of god lives within me how have you guys maybe seen that um misused you know maybe not even personally like i witnessed this here but uh where we see it just across the board being misused um oftentimes for people's personal gains i think uh i mean i would guess it's similar in ways that we've talked about other things but power almost in in terms of power that you actually have the ability to manipulate and control uh, to, to call upon something like there's some kind of special prayer mm-hmm. that if you pray it this way or if you pray it in a truly heartfelt manner, then something will happen, you know, and uh, in uh, in a manipulative kind of way. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's more so the way I've seen it mm-hmm. uh, done or mis- misused or misunderstood, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Is that there anything? No, I think that's that's really good. Yeah, I think I think one of the things too is, and, and we can talk about it maybe later. But sometimes the idea of power gets disconnected, as if God just gives us abstract power, and Paul connects it to a very specific historical event where God's power was manifested towards us. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. the resurrection. That's in the historical events of the right. resurrection mm-hmm. and the ascension of Jesus Christ. And that those are that is the power of God to us. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think we can just those historical events become secondary, and we just start talking about power as you know, kind of like Scott's saying too. It's just kind of this abstract thing that we can call upon. It's almost magic, mm-hmm. magical, um, and it's disconnected from the, the the facts of the scriptures about the gospel that we believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just think it, it is pretty evident in a lot of places where you can see it being, I'm going to invoke the power of God now to do mm. this, right? Or to, to say this. I've heard, you know, I've heard people say, you know, by the, by the power of God, I'm telling you, get behind me, Satan, right now. Like there's this like special act happening, yeah. like this invoking of it. Or now, and I, like you said, I, I don't know if that's what scripture is really speaking of specifically when it's mentioning the power of God on the believer. Mm. Uh, and so uh, we looked at the, at the three areas. The first one was the resurrection, which we, we did talk about pretty extensively uh, on Easter morning. So we don't have to hash it out too much here again, but we don't want to skip to skip over it. It is 
uh, interesting to think as I was studying this and looking at it how for thousands of years death was that was it right I mean they had experienced um, death in all kinds of ways you know through through mankind with we, we see the mortality rates even or you know how long people lived really wasn't that long and it seems like when you really look at it, it wasn't that everybody died when they were 30, but so many children died, mm-hmm. right? They just didn't live very long. And if you if you got past mm-hmm. that stage, you probably were pretty good to live to your 50, 60, something like that. But there just still was a lot of death, a lot of um, disease. Things took people, and it just this great enemy that was a part of life. And then all of a sudden, you know, this man comes on the scene, Jesus, and he dies, and it is... It is good to see that the the uh, Sadducees, the Pharisees, they wanted him dead because to them that was the final straw, right? That was the final thing that was going to end in everything. Why? Because you don't come back from that. And so they had seen people come up before claiming maybe to be the Messiah or different things. And what do they say? They say, yeah, remember this guy? He had like 400 followers. We killed him. Now where right. are they? Right. They're gone and he's dead. Mm-hmm. And so for Jesus, it was the same thing. Let's let's just take his life, but now all of a sudden, you have this per, you have this person that death doesn't hold them. Right. That's in, that's a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that's an interesting thing. Uh, could you? I mean, imagine you have the power to not die. You can be a ruler. I mean, you can be the greatest warrior ever. You can be. You would. They can't do anything to you, mm-hmm. right? You can hurt me. You can do the stuff, but you can't kill me. Mm-hmm. I'm always going to be here. Right. Um, and the grave just couldn't hold Jesus. So the Father, he's raised. Yeah. He's raised right. from the dead. And so this is the greatest powerful act that we have seen, that, that we have, that we can know. And Paul is saying here, he's praying that the church will know it. I read, I read uh, some verses. I have them here. But where Paul in Philippians Ask says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. This desire for Paul to always try to understand that better, mm-hmm. the power of the resurrection and really what was going on there. Because it's it's so vast and so great for us, it's hard to comprehend, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but Paul is saying it is this it is this power, right, that has saved you, yeah. which is astonishing to think. But I'm jumping. I'm jumping a little ahead. Let's go to the sec- the next thing quickly. The power of the ascension. Um, you guys feel that the ascension gets overlooked when looking at Jesus's life at all? I feel like, to me, I feel like it's downplayed. I think I might have even said this in the sermon. But when we talk about the ascension, we just talk about go and make disciples of all nations. We don't really talk about what's happening there. He's ascending on high, and now he's sitting. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? Why? Why do you think uh, that's not looked at? as much as, say, the cross or him rising from the dead. The ascension is what follows naturally, but it's not talked about too much. What, what do you guys think reasons are? Just Well, I would just think that because it's been disconnected from the theological significance of mm-hmm. where he's going mm-hmm. and uh, what he's doing mm-hmm. now, uh, having been ascended and what he's talking about is like that's where he's he is now seated with God. He's been... He's been given authority in verse 22 as he mm-hmm. put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. And so it's it's almost like um, the way at least I'm reading these verses in Ephesians is almost making it seem like Jesus' resurrection and his ascension to authority 
is part of this. It's all one package. Mm-hmm. It's all part of the same act, mm-hmm. uh, in other words. And um, and so yeah, I mean, it gets to gets it gets disconnected. I think maybe a practical reason too is because it's 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 in a different book of the Bible. It's in Acts, kind of disconnected from from some of the other ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, it's hard to talk about and grasp <clears throat> because you know he. We can talk about the cross and why that needed to happen. We, we, we've done that. Sin, wrath of God, sacrifice. We see that with the Old Testament. Um, we understand why he rose from the dead. Justification, we've talked about that. He had no sin in him. He, mm-hmm. Therefore, he shouldn't have died. So God is just. He, he rose from the dead. He conquers death, hell, all that. Um, but then when we see the ascension and we read something like this where it says, he's been given power over all things. But yet we look around and we think, how do I explain that? Because it doesn't feel that way. I'm I'm still under. That was something I was thinking you know, of. Was I mean, you know, God's promise to David that he would always have mm-hmm. an offspring on the th- on the throne, and that's not necessarily like this earthly throne. Mm-hmm. Christ is on the throne, uh, but it's it's in heaven, mm-hmm. you know. And so we maybe disconnect the fact that like. Um, that he's not on the throne here. We don't see him in that light, but that's where he that's where he went. He went up yeah. and he did mm-hmm. that. And mm-hmm. it seems also so um, <clears throat> strange, maybe from like what you if you think about the ascension of like he literally was rising up, like flying, <laughs> yeah, like going when, up into yeah. the clouds, yeah. and they're looking up into the clouds to see where he mm-hmm. went. Have you ever done a Chinese lantern? No, yeah. I haven't. I, yeah. I, I, and you watch it as long as you can, and it just kind of disappears. I've wanted to do one, but I've heard that they're actually illegal, so <laughs> you're not allowed uh, to do one. I don't know. If it is illegal, I've never really done one before. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure they are, because I wanted to do one with you. you know, but, I didn't. But, uh, but, but anyways, like it seems so um, almost out of character for some other things that you see in the Gospels. And whereas like Christ's humanity is is highlighted, it's like now that he's risen from the dead, he's flying. You know, it's like that seems strange, uh, but that's that that there's a big there's a, been a change that's happened in a way. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I'm just yeah. thinking out loud here of all those yeah. different aspects that you see mm-hmm. post resurrection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think um, the ascension is uh, is is important, and really the whole book of Acts. All about the effects of Christ dying, rising, and now being ascended. Pentecost, Jesus, uh, Peter says, because he's now been seated mm-hmm. and ascended, he's poured out the Spirit at Pentecost. And you reference David, um, he, he references Psalm 16, um, and also throughout the Bible, and you can see echoes of Psalm 110 here in Paul's language here, where um, Ask of me and I will give, or that's like a, really a few different psalms. Psalm 2, ask of me and I will give the nations your heritage. Right. Psalm 8, where the second, the Adam is put, Adam is, mankind is put above all mm-hmm. things. And then the third psalm is uh, Psalm 110, which is uh, again echoing the whole universal, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And so, and also it's very important to remember Jesus Whenever he resurrected, he's the first person, like you referenced Lazarus. Lazarus was resurrected in a sense, but he was resurrected back to this life. Right, yeah. This Mm -hmm. world. When Jesus was resurrected, he's the first one to get through to the next life and get through to the next world. Mm -hmm. And so where Jesus is... (laughs) 
Jesus is the first one to break that ground through. And he brings us all in his train with him who are believers. And that's why his resurrection and crucifixion, Paul, whenever he thinks about Jesus, he cannot help but, and he, and the, and salvation, his understanding of union with Christ is so, so tight that whenever Jesus died, I died. When he rose, I rose. When he ascended, I ascended. Mm-hmm. And there's such a, we don't think that way often. We think Jesus did his thing and now I'm doing, I'm getting this thing over here. But for Paul, the minute I believe that's everything that he did and experienced in time and space is mine now. And I'm united to him. So I'm seated up there. He says with him, he's the head, but I'm part of his body and he's over all things, um, over all things in this world. And I think that was a, a, a powerful thing whenever I saw he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are a new humanity. We are the new race in Christ. We are over these things in him. Not that we see those things yet, as Hebrews points out, but we are in principle, and he's going to wrap it all up uh, with a perfect bow at the second coming. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it is a powerful thing. I think it's it's comforting for believers to be reminded. I mean, I may go out on a limb here, but I think probably there has been certain forms of uh, interpreting the scriptures, in particular with regards to eschatology, that can tend to downplay the ascension. Okay. Because we have to wait for mm-hmm. the future right. for the effects right. of this ascension to take place. Yeah. Um, and they push them so far into the future. And there are future things still to come, mm-hmm. but we lose the powerful effect of, yeah, but he is ascended and ruling and reigning right now. Right now yeah. And that does, that yeah. is, com- that should be comforting to us. We're not just waiting for things to get back put together. Uh, Jesus is in control right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm seated with him in heaven mm-hmm. by faith as well. Yeah. I don't know. No, no, that's good. And that's why, like, towards the end, after talking about the church a little bit, just bringing up all these threats to the gospel that you hear about today, you know, that this is the greatest threat to the gospel. The prosperity the prosperity gospel is the greatest threat to the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you hear this different things, but in light of what we're reading here, Jesus is on the throne, all things are under his rule. There's really no true threat to the gospel in terms of it's all going to be gone. Mm-hmm. Like it's going to be washed away. There's not going to be any remnant left. There's going to be right. nobody who believes. All the Bibles are going to be burnt. There's going to be nowhere. No, like that that can't happen. That's not going to happen. Jesus Jesus is not going to allow that to happen, mm-hmm. right? It's not going to take place. There might be people who try. Um, mm-hmm. There might be in America one day, you know, where churches are closed and they're saying, you can't do this anymore, right? This is against the law. I would dare to say though, then if that happens, even in America, the church isn't going to die, right? I mean, but especially worldwide, it's just not going. It's just mm-hmm. not going to die. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I don't think we need to run around panicking. No, you know, panic in the air, panic in the air. You know, this new thing has attacked our faith. Well, people, I mean, your church history class is talking about this, I am sure. But just, it's always been attacked. There's always been different mm-hmm. things, even with most of the time within the, within the church fighting, um, but yet. We see how God's plan still happens, and the, the church still goes, and and that's the last the last point here that we want to focus on is how the power of God still works within within the church, within the life of the church. And so I broke that down really in two ways. First is 
in individual believers. And I think it was good to be reminded this week that that same power that that rose Jesus from the dead, the same power that you're standing there with Jesus all of a sudden, like Scott said, wait, you're flying. Okay, there you go. You know, <laughs> yeah. he's saying this. That same power is what brought us out of the slavery and bondage of sin. The exact same power. And that's, that's, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. I, I would imagine most people, most Christians, if you ask them like, would you like to go and see Jesus rise from dead? That'd be pretty cool. Be like, yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Like to see how that happens, see that take place. I, I want to see that. And it's like, well, we actually get to witness that same power when somebody right. by faith trusts right. in Jesus. Like God just did that again. Right. He raised somebody from the dead again. Right. You know, and um, and this person had sin. Like this person right. doesn't deserve it, right. but by His grace, He did it. And hmm. to think that He would do that in our lives as individual—that's that's the power of God in my life. Right. That's Jesus's resurrection at work. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what you know. No, you're right. It's not like like He's doing. It's like that is the power of the one act of Christ. Is there's this amazing sense in which by faith it crosses time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It crosses all these times and mm-hmm. locations and reaches out that person of Christ in what he did reaches out and raises the dead to life. Yeah. On both sides of his, mm-hmm. the Old Testament saints were, were that power of Christ's resurrection was already pulling them out of the dead, out of mm-hmm. the grave. And similarly, yeah. it reaches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's wonderful. And the amazing thing is it's not just like this one-time act either because we see in Scripture, like some of the passages I read, where we have been promised that if we resist the devil, yeah, and how? By being faithful, just remaining faithful to God and trusting in Christ with our life, right? Over and over again, not being saved repetitively. I'm not saying that, but trusting in that, that it says, and he will flee from you. The one who devours people like a lion, who roams around devouring people like a lion, when he comes into contact with a Christian, and this Christian is being faithful and resisting the devil, we see the power of God at work in that individual because you actually can resist him. So you can flee from sin. You know, you can see the fruits of the Spirit bubbling up in your life. That's the power of God doing that. That's not your perfection. That's not your awesomeness. It's the power of God is enabling you to be able to do that and to live that way for his glory, right? For his, for his honor and his purposes. And so that's, that's where we see the power of God being displayed in individuals. I think, I think that's what the Bible is teaching here, not in casting out demons, not in this other stuff, which I think people try to misuse the power of God for, but just in how he would save a sinner like me, and then allow me the ability to not sin that way anymore, to see victories in my life on a regular basis of where I'm not getting as angry as I always used to, or I'm, I'm much, much more patient with people, or I don't speak as quick as I should because the Bible says to be yeah. quick to listen, you know, these different things. <clears throat> yeah. No, I, you asked this question a while back, but I think it will even apply now that <clears throat> to what you're saying about this power in the individual Christian's life. I think one of the reasons that this idea of power gets misapplied or abused is partially because of what Jesus says in in Acts 1 when he says um, in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has Mm -hmm. come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, into Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then the subsequent 
witness that you see of the church in the book of Acts is there are many miraculous things. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of what we're getting at is that many times that this idea of power is abused. It's abused in terms of like having miraculous gifts empowered by the Holy Spirit. And, and that's what you see in Acts is the Holy Spirit does give these gifts such as tongues or healing and miracles and all these different things. But the way it gets abused is that we think of power as associated with the Holy Spirit only in terms of miraculous gifts, but not in terms of our sanctification mm-hmm. and repentance and faith. And we, we, it's disconnected from those other things mm-hmm. to where those things don't seem like they're associated with power. Right. Um, yeah. Because we've downplayed, honestly, the importance of those things mm-hmm. and our inability for those things to do that, which is kind of where you're going to go next in the book of Ephesians about being, we're dead. We needed to be made mm-hmm. alive again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, and that's by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I think that just connects to, uh, to those things. We thought only of power in terms of these miraculous miracles, mm-hmm. uh, but we forget that it's a miracle that we're able to repent of sin. Yeah. Um, the fact that you have been given a new heart and a new life in Christ. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's the power working in your daily life as a Christian. Mm-hmm. We just don't see that as very powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think. But so the scripture does, mm-hmm. right? It yeah, speaks of it as a very powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then uh, we talked about individual believers. Then it, that moves to the to the church because it doesn't say. Indi- I mean, it says the church here specifically, and so uh, the Bible means something when it says. When it says the church, and we can, we can think about the church. I think in a in a couple ways, and you guys can correct me if I'm off base here. But you have, you have the the Catholic Church, and by that we mean everybody who's been saved by the grace of God. That's what we mean by that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have Paul like writing and speaking about specific churches, and he he will still say church, but he's not meaning. Every Christian who's ever been saved, he says, like, to the Christians in Ephesus or in Colossae or these different places. And he tells Timothy, right, to to lead his church. And he's not talking about, you know, Timothy, you're over all these churches. It's, you know, lead, lead your church. And so we see great evidence all through the Bible of being a part of this local, this local church and how that is... The body of Christ that we're made in the body of Christ that He is the head of the church, and we are uh, His body, right? We make up His body. Without the head, there is no functioning, there is no doing, and, and that it is through the it is through the church where this power of God is made evident to people today, to to the lost. It, it is through the church that this is happening, and that that this is that this is taking place again. That it's interesting that they say the church and not through the individual believers by themselves. Like, you guys just go and spread out and just be Christians where you live. There's this togetherness of doing it together and then saying, you know, gathering together. You see that. You see baptism. You see Lord's Supper. You see these different things being put together, even an organization of of pastor, elder. We see the office of, of deacon mentioned in places. So you start to see this form of these local churches that are supposed to supposed to come together and that through this, the power of God works in their town or wherever they're at. It sh- should be made evident there. 
Um, and so I, to me, that's just a, a pretty telling, a pretty telling thing about not being an individual lone ranger Christian, which I, I think we see actually quite a, we see quite a bit. And it's sad because uh, those people who are doing that, who are bouncing from church to church, never will just sit, stay with the church who are doing this. They're being, they're being robbed ap- actually of a great, a great joy that God has provided them in, in a local church to serve together, to love each other and to have the power of God displayed, displayed in their life. So we, we have to stay uh, focused on that. You had a good question before though, that I was going to let you bring up so that we can talk about in this, in light of, of the sermon. So go ahead and share. Well, you know, we see it's in the church and it's through the church that this happens. And in your sermon, you had talked a lot about how it's not even through our denominations or our associations that we're part of, um, but that this, that we've been given a mission as the church Mm -hmm. to do this and it's the church that does it um but i guess just getting specific with that of how do we do it what is it what exactly does that mean our task is as a church individually uh what is the what is the task that god has given us and what do we do to actually do that Mm -hmm. you know so just getting specific with it i guess was what I, was I would say, uh, the way I would answer that is there are some mandates, I think, that the church is given to do. No, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I already mentioned some of them, right? Gather together, worshiping, uh, Lord's Supper, baptism. Like, we, we, see, we see those things. Um, we see some other commands, I think, for the, for the churches, like where there's discipleship being told. So, we're, we're told for the older people in the church to care for the younger, to raise them up. And so... You see this aspect of discipleship that I think is a, a must um, within the church. Uh, but from there, I think different churches, it'll play out differently based on location, based on, uh, I don't know, means at times. Uh, but if you're asking, like, what is a faithful church where the power of God is displayed? I, I think I, it would be a pretty easy definition of a church who has come together under the headship of Christ, <clears throat> they worship Him regularly, like we would say weekly on Sundays is when well, weekly, and they observe the ordinances of baptism and Lord's Supper together, and they're trying their best as a church to honor God and what they say and do, and let other people know who He is. I mean, that's really the most basic definition I would say of a faithful church displaying the power of God in them. I, you guys got anything to add to that or subtract from that? Just in its basic, its very basic form? Mm-hmm. No? So then, I mean, how it plays out, though, <clears throat> I think different churches need to decide, you know, what is what are we going to do then? Um, what else are we going to do? So, like, we have Sunday school. We want to teach. We want to have opportunities to be able for people to come and to learn together. We think that is a valuable thing here that we want to offer as a church for our members, but also people outside if they wanted to come in. We want to teach you about about God's Word. Um, I don't know. Some, some churches have really big food pantries and stuff where they're ministering to the community that need, which is a great thing, you know, if that, if that need is present. Uh, we started a uh, foster closet 
And we saw that as something our church could do. We had people within our church who were getting involved in the foster care system, were fostering children, started to see needs that maybe weren't being met, that thought maybe our church can meet that need to show the love of Christ to people within our church, but also people outside of our church. Maybe this would be something good for us to do. And so then we do that. Uh, Our church is a part of a denomination. Denominations aren't bad, uh, but they're also not the church. And so you have to understand that. But we find it beneficial. Southern Baptists, we hang our hat on the cooperative program, right? So we give money. That money supports seminaries where people can go and be trained of what should be good theological places. We support missionaries who are all over the world who should be theologically trained, ready to go and to serve Christ and to start churches in areas, good, healthy churches. And we think that's a good thing to be a part of, and our denomination does that. And there's, I'm sure, some other distinctives of Southern Baptists that we could talk about, but we don't need to. But our church finds that to be a good thing. So let's let's be a part of that. And let's be a part of our state convention. Mm. right? Let's be a part of our association. We can do that. We like that. We like what maybe is being done. So let's, so let's be a part of that. But there's other faithful churches in Monroe who aren't part of the Southeastern Association, and we're not going to tell them, well, then you're not really... The power of God's really not being displayed in you because you're not a part yeah. of this. Yeah, you know for what sure. I mean. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And, you said something a second ago that I don't know if it's exactly the way I would, I would put it, but you said, "What else then do we do?" Uh, okay. In terms of like our things, and I don't even think you have to think about it like that. Um, I think you would agree with it. It's not necessarily okay. Well, as long as we're doing the things that we have to do as a church, no, what right. else are we going to do? No, no. It's more like. Well, what are we going to do to do those things? Sure. How are we going to do mm-hmm. those things? Or even if you use it as like a rubric to evaluate what mm-hmm. you're doing as a church, the activities that you have going on, the ministries mm-hmm. that you start. So maybe a, a food closet you, is started and it's it's doing a good job in terms of and providing an opportunity to witness to the community around yeah. you. Yep. You should invest in that mm-hmm. and you should do it and you should mm-hmm. you should you know uh, work that heavily. But then if 10 years down the road, it's not really being used as an effective tool for witness anymore. You don't necessarily have to keep it going. Yeah. But if there's other opportunities that come your way to do it, will this, will this fulfill our obligation to be a witness mm-hmm. to the things of Christ to those around us? And if it, if it will fulfill that and you have people that are interested in doing it and leading it, why not? Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. Um, and so I don't necessarily think of it as like, well, what else can we do? Right. It's more of like, what's the most effective thing that we can do to to do this, to accomplish this, mm-hmm. so so to speak. But yeah, but yeah, yeah. no, I just think that's helpful. And what you said is really helpful in that it's not the same across the board for every church. Not every church has to be doing the same activities. Every church has the same goal and purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way yeah. in which you choose that, I mean. Some of that is going to be made up of, honestly, the people that are in your church. And so we were talking about the power of God at work and individual believers. There's also the spiritual gifts that God has given mm-hmm. to his people. And he's put a certain group of people together in a particular church at a certain point in time. And they might have certain gifts that they are able to use for the purposes of, of building one another up and expanding God's kingdom. Yeah. And those should be used. You know, you, Not even spiritual mm-hmm. gifts, but just talents. You know, I think sometimes we can confuse those things up. But like, there's a lot of churches who are smaller who do VBSs, and they probably shouldn't. 
They don't have the people to run it well. They don't have the money to do it well. They don't even have kids in their church. They just do it because this is what you do. You do you do a VBS, you know. And um, but why, you know? But it does become it becomes this thing. Well, this is what we do to be faithful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I don't know if you're really being faithful just because you're doing a VBS. There might be something else. Maybe you could do, you know. Uh, but that, that's just one example that I was thinking of as you as you said that. Right? Uh, we don't have to get caught. Churches don't need to get caught up in that. You know, where's well, where's your? You guys will like this one. Where's your cafe? All the other faithful churches have cafes where we can go get good coffee. Where's yours? I've learned that most churches don't have good coffee, even if they have <laughs> yeah. cafes, unfortunately. Okay. So well, then you need I'd to have rather drive to Starbucks. You need to have bad coffee. <laughs> right? <laughs> but you saw that trend. Like, I remember seeing that trend where all of a sudden these churches were having, like, these special places to go get drinks for free. And that's what you do if you love your neighbors. Yeah. You know, and it was like, well, I don't I don't know yeah. if that's what I yeah. if that's what I have to do. Um <clears throat> And so say, saying all that that we said, again, I think that main definition of what is the church is what's most important. Are we coming together? I would say it this way. Are you covenanting together under the headship of Christ as as people mm-hmm. saved by his grace, saying we are going to love each other like Scripture tells us. We're going to love each other by worshiping God together. We're going to love each other by taking Lord's Supper together. And we're going to love each other by observing baptism and we are going to do what God has called us to do together. So we're going to share the gospel with our neighbors. You know, when we have opportunity, we're going to be faithful to our spouses. We're going to love our children and we're going to be good Christian people at work. We're going to, but we're doing this together and we're going to come together. And in that even is like accountability. We're going to do this together. (coughs) Then you're a faithful, you're a faithful church. Do that well. Like, love each other well. That would be really good. I think that's been one of the blessings of COVID, of our COVID era, um, is it's caused, I know, us as church leaders to ask these questions. You could laugh at it. What is essential? You know, I guess our world is kind of asking that question, and you find out anybody can be if you work, work it out right. But in the church, in church life, in church, what is essential for us to be a church, to see the power of God working in the church? And really, I think for us, as we started to take that back, the most important thing was being able to gather together to worship God together. That was first and foremost, right? And in observing the ordinances together. How can we do this together? Because this is the first and foremost thing that we need to be doing to honor the Lord uh, in pushing everything else aside, right? And then we wanted to get Sunday school because we saw that to be an important thing, to grow, to know Him, to know Him better, like we talked about last week. We want our people to to know Him and we want to know Him together. Um, Really, for me, that would be the two things that if that's all we could do, then let's do it the best that we possibly can do. And let's all be on board with it. Because I think from that, naturally, if we do those things well, naturally, evangelism will happen by the individual Christians in our church, in their neighborhoods, at their workplace, in their homes. You know, Naturally, they're going to see needs in their neighborhoods or whatever and help meet those needs. Benevolence will be done through the church, the body of Christ. Maybe I'm not signing a PO for it to go out, mm-hmm. but it's happening because our members 
are doing it right and being faithful. Yeah. As we know him more, as we worship him how we should, I think that stuff will naturally happen. It doesn't mean we're not going to doesn't mean we're stopping everything, right? We're still planning youth camps. We're still planning vacation Bible school. We're still trying to think of maybe conferences to do. We're getting ready to launch home groups. So we're still trying. But again, this is what's most important. And let's keep it that way. Because that's where the power of God is displayed Mm -hmm. in the church Mm -hmm. as we worship Him and as we love each other how we should. There's something, this will be the last thing. I know we're going a little long. Um, There was this past week we finished up a study that we were doing with the youth and the topic was on stewardship, but actually led to a really helpful conversation about Star Wars. We did have a good, good conversation about Star Wars, the gospel according to Star Wars. You didn't Wars. have to force that, did you? <laughs> discipline. There's discipline's happening. But we, uh, in talking about stewardship, we were talking about the things that God has entrusted to us to manage for Him. And as the one of the aspects of that we spoke of was, as the church, we've been entrusted with the message of the gospel, and just a very basic dichotomy uh, with that is that the two things that you could lump everything together in is that God has charged the church with uh, protecting the gospel, with guarding it. As you said, there's no threat to the kingdom of God. There have been many threats to the gospel message being clouded, confused, lost in certain Mm -hmm. places. So we, as the church, we organize the way that we do and we do the things that we do around God's word to guard the gospel we we guard it as a collective body but then we also give the gospel as a church we've been called called to guard it and to give it mm-hmm. as stewards of what god has entrusted mm-hmm. to us and uh, i just thought that was a very helpful very simple way mm-hmm. to think about how we steward this message that mm-hmm. god has given us to share with the world and mm-hmm. um so it's done through the church that's really good real quick i was listening to uh a, pro, a Lutheran program, but they, they have a phrase, get the message straight and get the message out. Yeah. I thought that was pretty helpful. Yeah. They were talking about how there was uh, one denomination had been formed by kind of a, a concern of two groups. One was more missionary and concerned, and one was more concerned for pure doctrine. And But that became the two emphases of get the message straight mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then get it out. And that's what we're supposed to do as a church. That's mm-hmm. right. Yep. That's our, that's our goal. And so... I hope that we remain faithful as a church. I hope we're being faithful. That's why I try to pray regularly in front of the church that if there's, I try to pray and hope that they see my heart as pastor and praying to God asking, if there's anything we're doing that's out of bounds, out of line, please help us to see this. Like, and give us the heart to change it. Like, help us Mm -hmm. to be humble enough to change it, to move away from it, no matter how much we like it or whatever it may be. Help us to be comfortable doing that because we, have a desire to be the church that God wants us to be. I I am fully convinced that his strategy is better than our strategy. And we need to stick with God's strategy, whatever that is, even if it feels awkward, even if it feels, you know, uncomfortable, or even if it feels like a lot of work, like it's going to cost us more. That's okay. But let's, let's just be faithful to his word and to his plan above above ours and above our preferences even at times, um, which can be hard to do. But hopefully people hear that uh, 
for me as one of the pastors praying that from the pulpit because I really think that is our is our heart in in these things. So uh, I hope this section of Ephesians has uh, been encouraging to you. I, I know it was for me to see the power of God, that, that thought, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that raised me mm. from the dead. And that's pretty pretty cool thing to think about, mm. an exciting thing to think about. And so I hope that's encouraging to you. Sorry the video was a, a little longer today, but I'm glad you were uh, with us if you hung in there to this point. <laughs> uh, but look forward to seeing you Sunday as we move on to Ephesians chapter 2. God bless.